Father in heaven, let us hear of your steadfast love in Christ. For in you we trust. Make us know the way we should go. For to you we lift up our souls. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord. We have fled to you for refuge. Teach us to do your will, for you are our God. Let your good spirit lead us on level ground, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May I be seated. Scripture reading for this morning is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to So if you're there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, let's pay careful attention for this is God's holy word. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, pointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Amy Morin is a popular secular psychotherapist. Uh, She is a well-known TED Talk speaker with more than 22 million views on YouTube, especially on her talk uh, titled, The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong. The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong. And I also came across her her article In that article, she identified the top 10 fears, right? The top 10 fears that hold people back in life or hold people back from reaching your greatest potential. And so what do you think the top one is on her list of fears? Well, you can guess what people fear the most is it's not death. It's not the fear of rejection or even the fear of loneliness, which was actually number two on her list. But what is it? What's number one? Well, number one is that people fear change. People fear 
change. It's the everyday fear of change, whether it involves your relationships, your career, whenever you're facing death or whatever discomfort in your life. And yet, what's her best advice for people who fear change? Or to ask another way, what's uh, the fear of change that holds you back from achieving your greatest potential? Well, Amy Morin's best advice is you have to look within yourself in order to build mental strength. You have to regulate your thoughts. You have to manage your emotions and just be productive and just work harder. We hear a lot of that, don't we? And even in my own chaplain ministry, this train of thought is promoted by many secular professionals as one of the best advices to give people, right? To cultivate mental strength, regulate your thoughts, manage your emotions, and be productive. However, no matter how practical that sounds, and, and, there, and there's certainly benefits to you know, behavioral science and knowing how the mind operates. But the truth is, beloved, it can never offer the fear-removing peace that only God can give. Because what's the world's message of trying to address our greatest fears? To address our fears of the future? What do they say but to look within yourself to feed on your distorted desires, to have an impressive reputation, to do whatever makes you happy, to express yourself more and more and to get whatever you've always wanted in life. But again, the truth is, it never leads to true peace, doesn't it? It actually leads to more fear. The, the, the heart remains restless because it can never be content. It's never satisfied. It's, it's always anxious to, feel the, to fill the desires of the flesh. And yes, it could be very scary to go through life with so many challenges and so many changes in our ever changing world in our sin-cursed world. And yet, what is God's will for us, beloved? It's not simply for us to achieve our greatest potential by the world's standards, but more importantly, to radically change what's deep down within us. It's not simply to improve our lives, but to forgive us our sins to lead us to true repentance, to receive grace and mercy, and to transform us in the image and likeness of Christ. And that's exactly the unexpected gospel transformation we see in the Apostle Paul in our passage. God had great mercy upon him when he was still living in darkness, a blasphemer, a persecutor of Christ's church, But what caused such a radical change? What caused this change? Why was the encounter crucial for his life and ministry? Well, it's when the risen Christ invaded his life on the road to Damascus. 
It was there that he was transformed by the power of the gospel. And because of God's merciful invasion in transforming his life, he writes one of the clearest gospel statements we have in Scripture. In verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy. You see that? Isn't that wonderful? He received mercy. The apostle Paul, the worst sinner, he received mercy. And why? So that what Christ did for Paul, he now becomes a pattern for us. He now becomes an example for us to receive mercy as we hear the gospel today. And so, beloved, that's the change we should desire. Not not the change we are to fear, not the change by any worldly means, but the change from sinner to saint, from darkness to light. And when we realize that it's the God of grace who opens our eyes and opens our hearts to our greatest need for Christ, we are no longer driven by fear, but comforted by His peace. So, beloved, do you want peace? Be comforted knowing that God is sovereign, and He is at work in every area of your life. And so, in our passage, we can be encouraged that since Jesus can save even the worst of sinners... Even the Apostle Paul, who was fully convinced to be the worst sinner, you too can come. You too can come in all your brokenness to find rest in Him for eternal life. And so how can we think about the Apostle Paul's testimony as a recipient of God's mercy and God's grace? Well, we can think about it in three ways. Three ways by observing first the greatest sinner, the grace received, and finally the glorious praise. The greatest sinner, the grace received, and finally the glorious praise. And first we see in our passage the greatest sinner. And in our passage we see that the Apostle Paul sees himself to be the greatest sinner. The chief sinner, the worst sinner. And why? In verse 13 it says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now what's the purpose why Paul shares with Timothy the the details of his shameful past? The past he once lived and breathed in. Well, it's connected to his earlier train of thought in the same chapter in verses 3 to 11. And in the context of chapter 1, he is writing to Timothy, a young pastor who has been Paul's co-laborer in the ministry. And now Timothy is left behind at Ephesus and it's charged with instructions and encouragements to lead the church at Ephesus. The task is big for Timothy. And one of Paul's immediate concerns in verses 3 to 11 is for Timothy to correct those who are teaching false doctrine against the teachers who care nothing about sound teaching, who care nothing about the true gospel. 
Because what's the goal in Paul's mind? It's for the true gospel to bear fruit in the lives of God's people, which is what? He tells Timothy early in verse 5, the goal is what? Love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so he reveals the error that this is not what some are teaching. They teach out of wrong motives with no concern for the gospel and no concern for love. And so Paul charges Timothy the serious obligation that because Paul is entrusted with the gospel, therefore Timothy is entrusted with the gospel to be kept pure. And yet even though Paul as an apostle has authority and and was commanded by Jesus to ensure that the pure gospel is taught in the church, in verses 3 to 11, Paul does not speak as if the gospel message is an abstract idea or or just great advice, as if sound sound teaching is just something great to talk about in Bible study or another topic for theological debates. He doesn't speak as if the gospel is powerless to change lives. He proclaims and defends the gospel because it is true. And it became very true for Paul on the road to Damascus. It's the power of God into salvation that changed him from the worst sinner who was lost but was found by the mercy of God. And that's why when Paul's discussion turns now to our passage in verses 12 to 17, we can sense his humility. We can sense his joy and his love for how Christ has converted him and called him to ministry because of the mercy he received despite his sin. I thank Christ Jesus who has given me strength. Paul says in verse 12. Notice his humility, how his experience of strength causes him to give due praise and honor to Jesus, who is his true and only source of strength. And how Paul was given the assurance of faithfulness in ministry, you know, not not because there was anything special in him, but because of God's mercy. See that? In fact, he considers himself to be the worst sinner, the chief sinner. And why? Because prior to Paul's conversion and his calling as an apostle in verse 13, he admits that I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent. Paul, prior to his conversion, was a zealous, self-righteous Pharisee. It was his duty to persecute the church. And we read in several places in Acts that he persecuted Christians to death, separating families, dragging men and women from their homes to prison. He admits, I was convinced to do many things to oppose the name of Christ. I hunted down Christians, going from one synagogue to another, one city after another, just to make Christians blaspheme the name of Jesus. And so just imagine, this was his full-time job to destroy the church. And he was feared by all Christians. And because we understand that believers are united to Christ by faith, when Paul was persecuting the church, he was also persecuting who? Jesus. 
Jesus finally confronted Paul on the road to Damascus and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it's no wonder Paul can picture and consider himself as the chief of sinners, as the worst of sinners. And so if you think about it, Paul seems to be the last person you'd expect to become a Christian. But God in His mercy through Christ, God in His mercy through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, became a Christian. Beloved, perhaps there's someone you know, someone you're praying about in your family, your children, your friends, or your co-workers who you want to see come to faith in Christ, but see no change. Perhaps you've grown up in the church. You know all the Christian jargon. You've sat through a thousand sermons, but you never found the gospel to be life-giving. Perhaps the fear of change to become a Christian means giving up your rebellion, your idol, that secret sin so close in your heart, and yet you're wondering if there's still hope. You're wondering if it's too late. And the answer, beloved, the answer is that today is the day of salvation. Amen. Psalm 103.8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 42.3, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So beloved, no matter what your sinful past is, All of us here can come to Jesus not only because you agree that He exists, but we can come to Him realizing like Paul, like Paul, the true condition of our hearts, to see the worst sinner that you know yourself to be, so that in trusting in Jesus saves sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can receive mercy. And in the words of one commentator, so that you can experience a radical reordering of what is valuable. So that nothing is more valuable in the universe and nothing is more valuable in your life than Jesus Christ. And so beloved, no matter who you are, whether you're, you're the worst sinner, the greatest sinner, God's grace and God's love is far greater than you can ever hope or imagine. Come to Jesus. Remember the unnamed woman called Sinner in chapter 7 of Luke's gospel. When she came uninvited to Simon the Pharisee's house, she saw Jesus reclining at the table. And what did she do? She wept at Jesus' feet. She kissed his feet and anointed it with ointment. And why? Because her eyes and her heart had been opened to realize the depth of her sin, that bringing her guilt, that she brought her guilt and her shame before Jesus so that she could find forgiveness and rest for her soul. And knowing the gravity of her death and how much it can be forgiven in Jesus, she comes to him holding nothing back. And what was Jesus' compassionate response to her? What did Jesus say? Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this leads us not only to see in our passage the greatest sinner, 
but also the grace received. Paul received grace. He received mercy. He says in the latter half of verse 13, I receive mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, even though Paul was dead, uh, even though Paul was dead set on destroying the church of Christ and, and doing everything he could to stamp out the name of Jesus, he operated with a different paradigm. He operated with ignorance and unbelief. You know, in in his heart and mind, he believed he was actually doing a service to God by punishing Christians who who violated the law. Perhaps he was applying Leviticus chapter 24, 16, which says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And that's what he thought Christians did. Blaspheming the Lord because they were proclaiming Jesus, the Son of God. And yet despite his unbelief and actions, God's mercy did not allow him to be fully hardened in his heart unlike the heart of Pharaoh whose heart was completely hardened, completely unforgivable and forever lost. And Paul's unbelief here wasn't the unpardonable sin. That's why Paul says, I received mercy. I received mercy. And what does God's mercy mean? It means the Lord's compassion, the Lord's pity on those who are spiritually dead. God sees us who deserve His wrath, and instead of giving what we deserve, which is death, He does not follow through in punishing us. He forgives us. He cancels our debt. Even the most grievous sin, instead He punishes who? He punishes His Son to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. But not only do we see that Paul received mercy, he also received grace, right? You see that in verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. And what is grace? Grace is the, all, is the undeserved benefits of, all the spiritual blessings that we receive from Christ that we did not earn, especially when the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ by faith. Not on, and not only is grace when someone is born again given in small amounts, but what does Paul say? It's grace that is overflowing abundantly. It's the idea of being more abundant than what's required. You can imagine if, even if you tried to ask Paul, Paul, how much grace did you receive? Well, I can't find the words because it's unmeasurable. I can't even count. It's as vast as the ocean is. It's as vast as the stars across the universe is. I don't know how to describe it because grace is incomprehensibly infinite. Peter asked, Lord, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but what? Seventy-seven times. And so you see, there's no limit to the grace and mercy that Jesus gives to sinners, especially to those who come to him 
to Him by faith, beloved. And what comes with grace? Paul tells us it's faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith and love. And this too is a gift. Faith and love. John Calvin in his sermon on this passage says, Faith and love are gifts of God. We cannot come to the light by our own efforts, nor can we change our sinful hearts in order to love God and neighbor. This must come from above, that God must remake us by His Holy Spirit. And before we have faith, He must open our eyes to His light. And so you see, the abundant grace with true faith and a heart driven by love are the gifts of God that every believer has and has come to realize despite the greatness of their sin and misery. You know, it's a, it's a complete contrast to who Paul was in his former life as one commentator, right? That as a former blasphemer of Christ and persecutor of Christ's church, God's grace has enabled him to love both Christ and his church. That's the radical transformation, beloved. That's the change which only God can accomplish through Jesus and His Holy Spirit without our help, without our cooperation. And why? Because He is powerful and we are not. He is strong and we are weak. We bring nothing to the table that can ever contribute to our right standing before God. The only thing that we bring is our sin. And because we are sinners, and when you come to realize that you are a sinner, Paul says in verse 13, and which is worth saying again, the great gospel statement, which we should never tire of saying to ourselves, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost of whom I am the worst of sinners. But not only, Paul, not only is Paul uh, trying to convey his own, his, only his, sin, his own sinfulness and, and his own unworthiness and the mercy that, and grace that he received from Christ, his, his reason for stating the gospel truth is more than just to uh, highlight his own testimony, but to reveal that he has become an example a pattern, a pattern for others who may be wondering, who may be wondering, is there any hope left for me who is spiritually lost? Is there any hope left for those in the church of Ephesus who have strayed away from the faith? Is there any hope in the church today? Is there any hope for you today who need to come to a saving place, saving faith? And Paul would say, Absolutely. Today is the day of salvation. And in verse, verse 16, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience, His complete patience, as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Paul says, look at me. I am living proof. If God can show mercy to me, the foremost of sinners, the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, how much more can he demonstrate his abundant mercy and grace to you? And so, beloved, may you be encouraged that when you recognize your sin 
and that you recognize your unworthiness, you can turn to faith in Jesus and he will never turn you down. Amen. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lay down on green pastures and be beside still water so that I may refresh your soul, Jesus promises. And so not only do we see in our passage the greatest sinner, the grace received, but finally we see the glorious praise. In verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the glorious praise that we see. Because even though it's a section of Paul's personal testimony, the emphasis is on who God is and what God has done in the gospel. Beloved, God gets the glory. Because Paul, as one who has been a recipient of grace and mercy, our natural overflowing response is what? It's gratitude. It's joy. It's praise. It's worship. And it would be unnatural for someone who has just been rescued from a burning building, burning building, building by courageous firemen to not say thank you. Or someone who has been cured of cancer to not say thank you to her doctor and nurse. How much more the praise of our trying God who has orchestrated every detail of our lives. Who even regulates right now every breath that we take. So that one day we can come to saving faith in Jesus. And Paul doesn't merely say thank you. He says more. He mentions five things about God. As one commentator writes, he is king because God is the sovereign ruler over all creation. He is eternal king of the ages because he reigns from the beginning to end. He is immortal because he is not subject to decay or destruction. He is invisible because God is spirit. And finally, he is the only God. There is no other besides him. To this God and to him alone belong all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so in closing, as we've seen the glory of what God in Christ can do for even the greatest sinner like Paul, God's grace is abounding. His love is greater. And so in response to all our fears, whether it be the fear of change or whether great fear that besets you, know that the answer is not to look within yourself. It's not to do whatever makes you feel good. It's not to achieve your greatest potential as the the world sees it. But rather, it's the word of God that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came to save sinners, to look outside yourself to him, to look towards the hope of the gospel, which is not just great advice, beloved. It's not just great advice, but it's the good news to trust in him who removes our greatest fears, even our deepest fears. The one who changes us, or even better yet, the one who resurrects us from death to eternal life. Praise be to God. To him belong all the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that you may continue to daily restore restore us to yourself, both by your love and by your word. 
Grant that by the power of your spirit we may continue to seek you. That we may never after that fall away. But be preserved in pure and true obedience. And that we may constantly continue in the pure worship of your majesty. In the true obedience of your word. Thank you for for making us realize our need for your son. And the mercy that's found in him so that we may come boldly to your throne of grace. To praise you. And to give you the honor you deserve. This we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.